Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at the church. I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today to hear what God has to say to us about who we are and whose we are. We are in the midst of a sermon series on the politics of Jesus, you know, because what else is going on in our country right now? Uh, every week we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew and these different lections that are leading up to Christ the King Sunday. And so we've been trying to figure out what it means to be Christian and be political and what Jesus has to say about all that stuff. Uh, there are a number of things I want to share with you about what's going on in the life of our church. The first is that I want to express my gratitude to those of you who were able to attend our drive-in service of Word and Sacrament last Sunday. We also incorporated uh, a food drive for Operation Give Thanks, which is through ACTS, Action in the Community Through Service here in our community. We gathered together over 175 pounds of food for ACTS, so I just want to say thank you to the many of you who contributed to that. Uh, it's a way for us to live out our witness uh, of faith to uh, to those in our uh, larger community about how important it is to not only feed our bellies, but also feed our souls. So thank you to all who participated last week. We have a lot of things that we're doing, even in the midst of a pandemic. We have email devotionals we're sending out, uh, live Facebook videos, worship like this, and that sort of stuff. You can find out more about what we have going on through our church website uh, and through our Facebook page. I just also want to add, uh, and this is very, very important, because of the pandemic, because of the changes uh, in our own economics, whether it's a, a country or a local community, uh, the church is in need of extra funds, uh, desperately in need of extra funds. We do not have the kind of revenue that we've had in years past, uh, partly because of our inability to do things like a flea market, which we've relied on for many, many years, but also because uh, economically a lot of us are not having the easiest time right now. So if you are someone who has contributed before, I want to encourage you to consider contributing more than you have, maybe even by just a percentage point. Uh, my family and I, my wife, my son and I, we're tithers. We tithe to the church from our income. Uh, for those of you who, who don't give 10%, I, 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 I strongly encourage you to think about just increasing it a little bit. If you've never given before, uh, now would be a great time to start. 
Giving is not a requirement, it's not an expectation, but it is part of our discipleship. Stewardship is, is who we become in Christ. We give of ourselves because Christ has given so much to us. Uh, so I, I, I prayerfully urge you to consider uh, contributing to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church financially because we certainly need it. Uh, with that, I, I just want to add one brief story that is relevant for our scripture today. I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a patient person. Uh, I am the kind of person who will buy Christmas presents in the middle of summer and will look for any excuse I can in the fall to just give those presents to the people I purchase them for, uh, partly because I just love to make people happy. I'm a huge people pleaser. And one of the things about uh, what God is doing on me is trying to make me a more patient person. I think God is doing that to all of us, uh, particularly with everything that's gone on in our country this week, but also because uh, being Christian is part of what it means to be patient. We are a people living in between times. That is to say, we are in between the time of the incarnation, God and Christ coming into the world, and God and Christ returning to the world to rectify it completely, the new heaven and the new earth, as we read in Revelation. So patience is actually, just like as I said a moment ago, a stewardship is part of discipleship. Patience is also part of discipleship. Uh, we would do well to be the kind of people who can embody that and and help others in the world to see what it means to be patient. And I think you'll see why that's important as we not only read from our scripture today, but also hear the proclamation of the word. So with that, I'd like to encourage you to find a comfortable position, a comfortable posture. Uh, we're going to pray silently for a moment. And just one final reminder, we have an online bulletin that uh, you can find the link for it in our video description. It will have our prayers, our scripture, hymns, all that sort of information that might be helpful for you. But other than that, I encourage you to find a comfortable position. We're just going to be silent before the Lord in prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness Put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your son came to visit us in his great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, that we may rise to life immortal. And it's with that courage and conviction, Lord, that we now pray to you, lifting up, whether silently or loud, our own joys and concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 25th chapter, verses 1 through 13. So hear now the reading of God's word. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps, lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 616 from the United Methodist Hymnal, 616. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in the online bulletin. But now join me over at the drums as I play and sing for us, Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. Do not begin to make excuse. I do not you his grace refuse. Your worldly cares and pleasures leave and take what Jesus hath to give. Oh, come and partake the gospel feast. Be safe from sin in Jesus' rest. Oh, taste the goodness of our God and eat his flesh and drink his blood. Set forth before your eyes, behold the bleeding sacrifice, his offered love made haste to embrace, and freely now be saved by grace. He who believe his record true shall sup with him and he with you. Come to the feast, be saved from sin. For Jesus waits to take you in. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Advent typically starts the Sunday after Christ the King Sunday, which is basically the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's that time when we start to pull out the Christmas trees and the wreaths and the Advent wreath and all that other sort of good stuff. And 
as God's people in the world, those who live and speak his praise, we know well enough to keep holidays, that is, holy days, in their proper place. It's why we sigh and lament when we see Halloween decorations in the store on the 4th of July, and why we sigh and lament when we see Christmas decorations adorning homes even before Thanksgiving happens. And yet, as Christians, we're always living in Advent. That is, in the time in between the first arrival of Christ and his second coming. There's never really been a time for the church that wasn't Advent. And Advent is at its best when we see it as a season of waiting. So today, despite the power of proper liturgical location, we're going to have a little Advent. Because if Jesus' parable is about anything, it's about waiting. Listen, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. The biggest wedding ceremony in a century is about to take place, and the whole community is abuzz. Did you see her dress? Can you believe all of the imported decorations? Is that a real band we hear warming up for the reception? Ten bridesmaids are waiting for the groom, because what good is a wedding feast if you're missing one of the wedding partners? Now, the wedding is scheduled for 2 o'clock, but the bridesmaids, they've arrived with plenty of time, and they have their lamps. You see, it was a tradition in this town to welcome the groom with a festival of lights. And seeing as how the wedding was supposed to start in the middle of the afternoon, just as the sun prepares to set, they only brought what they thought they needed. At least, that's what half of the bridesmaids did. The other half, inexplicably, showed up with a couple barrels of kerosene to keep those lamps going, even though they wouldn't need it. However, the groom is late. Hours pass, and the bridesmaids can scarcely keep their eyes open when finally, at midnight, with trumpet sound, someone declares, Behold, the groom is here. The time has come to light the lamps. So the half with kerosene barrels, they start dancing. They start giggling with excited expectation while the other half of the bridesmaids start bargaining for more oil. But there isn't enough to go around. Therefore, the reasonably unprepared crew sets off for the nearest 7-Eleven in hopes of procuring the necessary flammable liquids. By the time they return, the doors to the reception are closed. And despite the girls' best puppy dog eyes and their earnest pleadings, the doors remain closed and they hear the groom's voice from the other side, Truly, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake because you don't know when. I will come. So much for Jesus being a kind and fair Lord, right? So much for open hearts, open minds, and open doors, right? So much for having a crowded kingdom of heaven, right? Now, if we're honest, this parable, it just rubs us the wrong way. We're fine with a little nudge toward good Samaritan-like behavior. We can even handle the subtle hints about the need for forgiveness in the story of the prodigal family, but Who does Jesus think he is telling us that some aren't going to get into the wedding banquet? Notably, the central figure in this confounding little parable is absent. In so many of the other parables, the the miraculous gift of talents, or the prophecy of a coin in a fish's mouth, or even the chopping down of a fig tree, there's a central character doing the work, but here the bridegroom is missing. It's the secondary characters, the bridesmaids, They are the ones who wait. You see, it's an Advent story. 
But notice, friends, before Jesus rains down judgment, because that's what he does, before he rains down judgment on the foolish bridesmaids, the total inclusion of the wedding feast prior to the party beginning. Just another way of saying that all ten are invited and are part of the wedding party before the wedding party even happens. They've received their invitation, and they've received this invitation for nothing. We, we learn nothing of their miraculous morality or their gobs of good works. We don't even know if they were kind to the bride. They're just simply the people who got invitations in the mail. And contrary to how we so love to talk about it in church, good behavior doesn't save or damn anyone. Again and again, we read in the New Testament that God has thrown away the ledger book forever. The invitation is for all. What we do with those invitations, though, is something different, at least according to this parable. Because in this one, there is condemnation. But the condemnation only comes for those who trusted in themselves and in the world more than trusting in the Lord. And even though that ruffles our feathers, it's pretty sound theology. Because whenever, you know, faith alone, salvation by faith alone is proclaimed, when we say things like, we don't have to do anything because Jesus has done everything, it feels like salvation has been made too easy. It means that anybody could get in for nothing. And when we talk about it that way, faith then is belittled to a, a, a mere mental thought. And we can't help ourselves from then wondering if, if the work of salvation is already done, if we are already saved, then why should we try to be good or kind or loving? Well, there's another question we ask. If the world is saved in its sin, then why shouldn't we keep on sinning? The problem is faith isn't just something we do with our brains. It's not just a thought that we have. Faith is all the intricacies within a trust relationship with another person, namely Jesus Christ. And being in relationship means we will always be doing something, not just thinking some things. Therefore, the question might be better positioned like this. Since Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has already invited me to the supper of the Lamb, then why shouldn't I live as if I'm already at the party? We don't have to do anything to get in. That's Jesus' department. The invitations have been sent out. But as invited members to the wedding feast, it is good and right for us to live into that joyous celebration now in anticipation of then. But then we still have the question about continuing to sin. Part of the problem is that no matter what, we're going to keep sinning. Sin is not something we really have any choice about. Sin is... Sin is who we are. Now, of course, we might be able to kick some bad habits along the way, but we won't be able to ditch the root of the problem. No matter how good or bad we are, all of us, each and every one of us, we choose to do things we know we shouldn't do, and we avoid doing things we know we should. The expression, nobody's perfect, is often meant to comfort us when we mess up, but it's also just true. <laughs> nobody's perfect. And yet, in spite of our imperfection, God sees fit to hand us a new creation for free and invites us to live as if we trust that gift. And that trust is what we in the church call faith. And faith is always a gift. There's no easy answer as to why some of us trust the Lord better than others or more than others, except perhaps by what Jesus offers in this parable today. But faith 
is a gift offered by God to all. God, however, will not force us to accept this gift. And it's here, right here, in recognition of the good gift of God that we start to squirm in our seats because apparently, in spite of God's total desire for salvation of the total cosmos, there is a moment when the present will come into contact with God's divine reality and the party will start. But there's no space at the party for party poopers. All of the parables point to God's grace full and grace-filled actions in the world. And here, in a parable of judgment, because that's what it is, God will triumph in bringing the party to fruition, while also separating those who rejoice in the mystery from those who are hell-bent on keeping everything the same. Which brings us back to the parable. Now, there's ten girls. They're on their way to a party. They're tickled to death for having been invited in the first place. Five of them are wise. Five of them are foolish. We have to remember and consider for a moment, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. The foolish bridesmaids are those who are wise according to the ways of the world. And the wise bridesmaids represent the wisdom of faith, which means trusting in the foolishness of the cross. So now that I've sufficiently confused all of us, for the moment, all they need is what they have, an invitation. The foolish, though, take lamps, but no oil. They are those who live according to the logic of the world and what should happen. They are a bunch of happy winners who are always rejoicing in their win streak, who believe their good fortune will always hold out because it always has. These five foolish bridesmaids, knowing that it's a daytime wedding, they reasonably assume that they don't need to bring extra oil. They're sensible in their preparation. But the other five, the so-called wise bridesmaids, they insist on lugging around a bunch of kerosene just in case. Nothing could be more foolish. Nothing could be more dumb. They have complicated their lives by preparing for something that shouldn't happen. They've packed their parka for a trip to the beach, and they've brought a bathing suit for the trip to the Arctic. Now, this is when the parable becomes a parable because something goes wrong. The bridegroom is late. So late that all the bridesmaids fall asleep. And then, boom, the clock strikes 12. Behold, the bridegroom finally arrives. The unexpected happened just like it does in life, just like it does in the strange new world of the Bible. And the bridesmaids, even in their dozing off, they have done what Christians do. They wait. For as much as we are Easter people, we are also Advent people. We wait in faith, and it is in our waiting that the good work of the kingdom starts to take shape. Because waiting is all we have to do. Whether we're like Peter or we're like Judas, if God really does take away the sins of the world, then all we need is faith to accept the invitation of waiting for the party to begin. The bridesmaids wake up. They get to work. However, half of them discover they don't have enough oil for their lamps. They don't have enough because they never believed they would need it. This parable, in many ways, says that in the end, it all comes down to trusting in something that is foolish to the world and wise in the kingdom of God. The foolish girls, they run off to go buy more oil, at midnight no less, but it's too late. And when they return, the door to the party is closed. 
The shut door is an image that us well-meaning Christians don't particularly enjoy. But the closed door is God's answer to the foolishness of the world. In the death of Jesus, God closed forever the ways of winning and the ways of rightness. But the wise bridesmaids, those who are foolish in the eyes of the world, who are willing to trust God more than themselves, were found in their lastness, their leastness, their lostness, and even their deadness to rejoice and celebrate at a party they had no business attending in the first place. And all the do-gooders who were so sure they could really save themselves when it really came down to it, they're stuck out in the dark with an invitation that gets them nowhere. God is a God of judgment, but it's not judgment based on the political meritocracy we find in the world. It's not a judgment about who's good enough or who's right enough or who's moral enough. It's just a judgment of trust. Are we willing to rejoice in the knowledge we get invited even though we don't deserve it? Or do we want to believe that we can make the case for ourselves for our own deserving even when we deserve nothing? Keep alert, Jesus says at the end, because you don't know when the waiting will end. This parable can frighten, it can confound, but when we come to the conclusion, the most appropriate response to this story, strangely enough, is to laugh, if we can. We laugh because the thing we're waiting for, it's a party. And that party is not some exclusive club in the hippest part of town with a giant bouncer holding a really, really short list of VIPs. The party is already here in Christ Jesus who delights in bringing the party to us rather than waiting around for us to get good enough to get in. That's why I end then with these all too important words from Robert Farrar Capon. Because God God is not our mother-in-law who comes over to see if her wedding china is being used or if it's been chipped. God, God is not our mother-in-law. God is our funny old uncle who shows up with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. We do indeed need to be watching for him, but only because it would be such a pity to miss the fun he brings with him. Jesus is and always will be the life of the party, and Jesus wants a big crowd. The only thing we need to do is trust him. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, save us from self-righteousness. You have made us different so that our difference might save the world. But too often our difference tempts us to ridicule because the world is so ridiculous. So Lord, never let us forget that we too are the world and so are also ridiculous. Shape the judgments of our neighbors and our own foolish judgments by your love so that together we might be saved. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together in these strange ways and in these strange times. God has proclaimed God's strange and new and wonderful world to us. And now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, our prayers, but also with our tithes and our offerings. 
As I noted earlier in the service, we are in need of additional funds here at the church, so I strongly encourage you to give to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by to the church. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. Uh, but give, give so that we can continue to be a church in this community proclaiming this wonderful and strange and good news to the world. Uh, give with glad and generous hearts. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said here at Cokesbury is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me in affirming our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So with that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that the party has started. You need only trust. And never forget that God, that God is an uncle with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. And we need to keep awake and watch only because it would be such a pity to miss the fun. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering again with you next week, same time, same place, to learn more about the politics of Jesus. So go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, amen. Beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching up to Zion.